All right, please take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6 tonight, Galatians chapter 6. And we welcome you tonight, if you're a guest and a visitor, uh, and I haven't met you yet, I am Pastor Jason Demlo, Senior Pastor of the Church, and I apologize for not having a chance to have met you yet, but I will. And I've just been dealing with a lot of things uh, this, the last couple hours of this evening. And pray for me, uh, please, uh, as we uh, go to the Word of God tonight. I do not want to be in the flesh at all. And so I need your prayers, and that's all I'll give you at this moment. Uh, but there's more to, to share with you at some point, uh, as the Lord allows. <clears throat> but tonight, we are glad that you're with us, and we want the Lord and the Word of God to have free course here uh, in your life and in mine. And so let's be intent on that, all right? And so turn to Galatians chapter 6. Uh, and I would like for you to look at verse 6, and we'll read down through verse 10. The Bible says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray, Lord, for your Spirit tonight. And Lord, I do pray for uh, the Spirit of God to control what is said and done. And Lord, we yield to you. I yield myself to you. And Lord, we pray that you'd use your word to accomplish your will. And Lord, may it be rich and challenging and encouraging and strengthening to the believers tonight. Uh, we pray that you would have uh, uh, full control uh, over this evening. And Lord, we're thankful that we can assemble together tonight. Thankful for this church, for its people. Lord, for the desire to love and to please God and to serve the Lord. And that we can be unified in that very thing. And Lord, we, we ask that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we find ourselves, if by the way, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the, the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was a letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a region. There were several churches. And so this letter was to be passed around to all of the churches uh, because there was something very particular that Paul needed to address uh, concerning what was happening in these churches. And so we've worked our way through, verse by verse, uh, all the way through. And we find ourselves in chapter 6, the closing chapter of this letter. And as Paul is nearing the end of this letter to the churches, uh, what we find here are some final exhortations to the churches. And if we read over these verses that that we just read here tonight, and if we just do a surface reading of them, it might appear that they are not really connected to each other. They might look a little disjointed, like what do they have in common or how do they relate to each other? Or at the very least, you might say, okay, well, I can see how they're loosely connected. But if we actually look a little bit deeper and we uh, consider the context in, in which it's all written, we very much find a connecting link in all of these verses. Let's go back and read them again. And, let's, and you can maybe, just as you're reading through it, you can kind of get that idea where somebody might say, well, how do all of these things actually relate together? 
Uh, but there is a connecting link. He says in verse 6, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. When we look a little bit deeper, or we, we, and we'll walk through this passage, we'll try to unpack these verses here, but we find the connecting link in verse 7. Verse 7 is that connecting link where the Bible says, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The law of sowing and reaping is the tie that pulls all of these verses together. The law of sowing and reaping is a principle of order. It's a principle of consistency that is written into the fabric of, of all of life. Whether that is material life or moral life, the law of sowing and reaping is intertwined in the, in the fabric of all of life. Let me give you an example. If we take agriculture for an example, because we're talking about sowing and reaping. God promised Noah after the flood that there would always be a seed time and a harvest time. And he said in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So as long as the earth remained, God said there's always going to be a seed time and a harvest time. And if a farmer wants a harvest, we know that he's got to sow seeds in his field. Otherwise, there's not going to be a harvest, that the kind of harvest that he gets is determined in advance. He's not waiting and hoping, oh, I don't know what I'm going to get here. The kind of harvest that he's going to get is determined in advance and is determined by the kind of seed that he sows. If he's sowing barley, he knows he's going to get a barley harvest. If he's sowing wheat, he knows he's going to get a wheat harvest. And so it is with the rest of life. We sow good seeds in life, it's going to bring a good crop. If we sow bad seeds, it's going to bring a bad crop. There's always the law of sowing and reaping. Similarly, the Bible also shows us that when we sow plentifully, there's going to be a plentiful harvest. And if we sow sparingly, there's going to be a small harvest, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That was in the context of giving. And if we return, we don't need to do that, but if we turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about a gift or the giving to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And they were taking up an offering for these persecuted saints of God who didn't have anything and who had been persecuted for their faith and other brothers and sisters in the Lord should contribute. And Paul says, listen, the law of sowing and reaping is here. You sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. But if you sow sparingly, you're also going to reap sparingly. You decide. 
because the law doesn't change. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's the, here's the foundation. So if a farmer wants an abundant harvest of a particular kind of crop, not only does he need to sow the right kind of seed, but he also needs to sow it abundantly, and only then can he expect a good crop. That is precisely the principle that operates in the spiritual and moral realm of life. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so if we are faithful and we are conscientious in our spiritual sowing, in our life, we can expect a good crop to come. Amen? Praise the Lord. If we sow our wild oats, as they might call it, you should not expect strawberries to come into your life. Do you understand? Everybody understanding this? And yet there are men and people who think that somehow they can escape the law of sowing and reaping. They're sowing all kinds of seeds in life and expecting that it's going to turn out all right. That's an immutable law of God, an unchangeable law of God. And in order to emphasize that, Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. The possibility of being deceived is present, Paul says. But don't be deceived because God is not mocked. People blind themselves to the fact that the seeds they have sown are inevitably going to produce a corresponding harvest. It's already determined in advance. And Paul further adds, God is not mocked. So he doesn't just say, don't be deceived. He says, God is not mocked. The word mocked here is a Greek verb, and it's very striking. It is derived from a word that means nose, and it literally means to turn up the nose at, to fool, to outwit. So you understand the, the idea here that Paul is is giving what Paul is saying is that men are actually fools who think that they can fool or outwit God. Or that somehow they can escape the law of seed time and harvest. And from that principle then, that's the foundation here. That's the connecting link in all of what we just read. Have I lost people or are you with me here? Follow it? All right, so that's the connecting link to all that we've read. And so from that principle, then, we turn to the application. There are three things or three spheres of, Christ, of the Christian experience that Paul sees this principle of sowing and reaping operating in. And we find them in these verses. The first sphere of the Christian influ or experience that this law of sowing and reaping operates in is in Christian ministry. Notice what he says in verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. And we need to understand some words here. If we look over those words, like that's a little confusing how that's uh, read, we just need to understand what these words actually mean. So when he says, let him that is taught in the word, that phrase, taught in the word, it means one who is under instruction or 
is indoctrinated. In other words, what it's saying is, the one who is under instruction in the Word, or the one who is being taught the Word, let him communicate to him that teacheth in all good things. Do you understand that? So, him who is taught in the Word, somebody who's under instruction in the Word. The word communicate, it means to share with or to distribute. It's not the way that we would use the word in our English terminology, I'm communicating with you, like trying to verbalize. It doesn't mean that. It just simply means to share with. It means to distribute. All right, so keep the meaning in mind. The one who is taught in the word or instructed or under instruction from the word of God, let him share with or distribute to him that teacheth. That's the next phrase. That's the teacher of the word. Does everybody understand that? So the meaning then, or the principle being laid out here, is that those who are being taught the word of God should help to support the teacher of the word of God. And so what he's saying is a minister can expect to be supported by the congregation if he is teaching them the word of God. He sows the good seed of God's word. He sows it out there in the field. He reaps in a livelihood. Some people don't agree with that. Did you know that? Some people don't agree that a pastor should get a salary. By the way, if you're a guest here tonight, I'm not talking about my own salary. We're just in this part of the study here tonight. These are the verses that we've come across. Some people don't agree with that. And some people even find that embarrassing. But the biblical principle is emphasized many, many times over in the Scriptures. For example, Jesus told the 70 that He sent out two by two in Luke chapter 10 and verse 7, He said to them, In the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. That's the principle. Paul makes an explicit use of the sowing, reaping principle to the church at Corinth. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And notice here in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 9. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, or the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? What he's talking about is if a farmer uh, has two oxen, uh, you know, who are plowing, who are in the yoke, and they're plowing, and they happen to, to reach down and, and, and eat some of, of, of the harvest or the wheat that has been growing up, don't stop him from doing it. Don't muzzle the ox if he's doing all the work to, that you can have the reward. That's what he's talking about. So then we move on. He says, Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. And he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. And then here's the application. He says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your or carnal things? So you see the principle there? Paul says, if we've sown unto you the spiritual things of the word of God, why is it a problem or would it be a great deal if we reap of you the carnal things? 
This is the idea when he says, let him that is instructed or in the word or taught in the word share or communicate with him that teacheth in all good things. And so Paul says, is it too much that we reap of your material benefits? There's a sowing and reaping that's happening here on both sides. And if that principle is properly applied, it has built in safeguards to it. That's the blessing of it. We, for prudence sake, we should probably consider some abuses of this thought or this principle. First of all, there can be an abuse by a minister himself. I think we've seen that in our culture for sure. I think you look back in history, you've certainly seen it. In the Roman Catholic Church, you, you might recall if you've done any study on anything historical like that, you would recall that the Roman Catholic Church was very wealthy, and the reason for that was because the people just kept pouring their money into it, thinking somehow that that gave them favor with God. And the, and the priests would say, you know, do the penance, give so much, and, and so on, and that would, that would, you know, absolve you of your sin, and so people feeling under the constraint, they would give some more so that they could have favor with God, and the minister's ministers they're not really but they only enrich themselves and the catholic church was very wealthy because of that martin luther said and by the way i'm quoting martin luther but it does not mean i agree with him okay but i do agree with him on this statement martin luther said by the excessive liberality of men the covetousness of the clergy did increase that's a fact of history in today's world if we were to talk about true churches and true ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think very, very few true ministers of the gospel could be considered overpaid. Nevertheless, you still hear the jokes that people make, you know, oh, your pastor, he's got a cushy job. Uh, he only works once a week. He's got a pretty good thing going, etc., etc. I think you do see some kinds of excess, though, in modern, charismatic, you know, TV preacher-type atmospheres, the Creflo Dollars and, and many of the others. Uh, you see some excess, and you see them making merchandise of people. And that probably contributes to the impression that a minister is sometimes only in it for what he can get out of it. That's a sad thing. But Paul guarded against that very thing for the gospel's sake when he refused his right for compensation and he preached the gospel free of charge and then he earned his living as a tent maker just so the gospel wouldn't be hindered. But he said, I've got a right to compensation, but I'm not going to do that for the gospel's sake. And yet the scriptural principle is very clear that the laborer is worthy of his reward. But there are some safeguards that are built into it too. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. The principle in the Word of God says that those who labor in the Word should be counted worthy of double honor. 
The word honor there, it's not talking about accolades. It's not talking about respect. The word simply means value that is paid in money. That's what the word means. To make his living. But then he's also called a laborer. That's a very strong word. In Greek, the word means someone who toils with all of his might. Talking about laboring in the word, toiling with all of his might to seek to understand God's word and to apply it, not for his own sake only, but for those that he ministers to. If the minister gives himself and sows good seed in the minds and hearts of the congregation, then he may expect to reap a material livelihood. That's the Bible principle. There can also be abuse by the congregation, though. If a minister gives himself and he sows good seed in the minds and hearts of the congregation, he ought to be able to expect to receive that material livelihood, but sometimes it happens the other way, where the congregation tries to control the minister, the pastor. Some may try to treat him like he's their employee. By the way, a pastor of a true New Testament church is not the employee of the church. Just so we're all clear, I know our church understands that very well. But they might try to treat him like he's their employee. They might say something like, well, we pay you. We pay your salary so we can have a say in what you preach and what you don't preach. A church should never put a pastor in a spot like that. If he's been preaching the whole counsel of God, if he's been sticking to the word of God, he should never be put in a position like that. If he's sowing the good seed of God's word faithfully, however unpalatable the congregation may find it, he's got a right right to reap where he has labored. Sometimes we preach things that don't feel good, right? And sometimes a man can be in his flesh, and that's not okay. It should be dealt with, and it should be made right. But when it's the Word of God, the Word of God and the principles of it never change. Amen? It's stuff we need to hear. The Bible says that in the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That's the kind that says, well, we pay your salary, so we have a right to say what you can and cannot preach. That's not true, by the way. The right relationship between those who are taught and the teacher is one of fellowship, one of partnership. That's why Paul uses the word communicate. He says there in our, in our text in verse 6, he says, let him that is taught in the word Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. It means to share with. It means to have something in common. It's actually the Greek word koinonia, that which we have in common. And he says, communicate or share with him that teacheth in all good things. So here we have the law of sowing and reaping. There's sowing that's going on on both sides. And the reaping is going to come. 
But then we have another sphere of the Christian experience, and we find that in verse 8, where Paul says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The second sphere of the Christian experience is in holiness. Christian holiness. He says, He that sows to his flesh is of the flesh going to reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit is going to reap life everlasting from the Spirit. Here's another sphere in which the seed time and the harvest time principle operates. And so Paul moves from something particular about talking about communicating and all good things to something more general for all believers, and that is how we behave. He goes back to the theme of the flesh versus the Spirit. Go back to chapter 5. Where he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Paul likens this, this situation between the flesh and the Spirit to a battleground in Galatians chapter 5. He says they're at odds with each other. They're fighting each other all the time so that you cannot do the things that you would. But when you get to chapter 6, Paul uses this same issue of the flesh versus the spirit as a sowing field. You understand this? And so he says in chapter 5, it's a battleground, but here he likens it to a field that can be sown in. The harvest that we reap in life depends on where and what we sow. So here's the application. What's implied in this is that we are not helpless victims of our nature, of our temperament, or our environment. He says, he that soweth to his flesh, he that soweth to the spirit, there's a choice that can be made here. And he says, you're not a victim of your nature, of your temperament, or your environment. On the contrary, what we become in life largely depends upon the choices that we make that absolutely involve the character that we have. Let's just let that settle in for a second. Because if you look at people's lives, people's lives, or you look at your own life from, you know, from time past to where you are now. By the way, where you are now is a product of seeds that you've sown in the past. That makes sense? And where we end up somewhere down the road is going to be products of the seeds that we're sowing now in life. The flesh or the spirit it's a field that can be sown in, and the harvest depends on where and what we sow. That's why Paul says we have the duty to walk in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. That's a choice. We have a duty to sow to the Spirit in chapter 6. We cannot expect to reap the fruit of the Spirit if we are not sowing in the field of the Spirit. What did he just get done talking about in chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit, right? And he's contrasting that with the work of the flesh. We cannot expect to reap the fruit of the Spirit if we are not sowing to the Spirit. 
I want to look at the two kinds of sowing that Paul mentions here. First of all, he says we could sow to our flesh. For he that soweth to his flesh. According to Galatians 5 and verse 24, go back there and look at it. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So according to chapter 5 and verse 24, the flesh needs to be crucified with its affections and lusts. However, our flesh remains with us in this life as long as we live, and it's always a field that could possibly be sown in. Okay? Everybody understand? When he says, they that sow to the flesh, what that means is to pander to it. It means to cuddle up to it. It means to pet it like you would your pet. You know, that's what it means to sow to the flesh. The seeds that we sow to our flesh are largely our thoughts and our deeds. Is everybody following this? Okay, so here we go. Most of the time when people think about sowing to the flesh, they're talking about or thinking about these, you know, uh, immoral sins or things that people will fall into. But it's far deeper than that. It goes far, much farther beyond the realm of immorality in that regard. In fact, Paul lists the works of the flesh back in chapter 5 and verse 19. Many of those things that he talks about are not even physical sins. They're, they're attitudes. They're emotional. They're, they're things that come from the inside. And he talks about hatred and he talks about variance. That's quarreling. He talks about emulations and wrath, hostility and opposition. He talks about strife, which is factions and contentions because I don't have my way. He talks about seditions, disunion, division. Those are all things that he's talking about that are works of the flesh. So... Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge against another, we're sowing to our flesh. Every time we nurse a grievance, and we're mulling that thing over, and man, we're chewing on that, and we're making all kinds of assumptions about somebody else, and what they did, and what they meant, and it's starting to cause my attitude to change... We're sowing to our flesh. Every time we entertain the impurity, we're sowing to our flesh. Every time we wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to our flesh. We're sowing and sowing and sowing. Guess what's coming? A harvest. That crop is going to come up and it's going to show itself what kind of fruit it is. You know, sometimes we can be in a situation in life, we got, we're just surrounded by, we're surrounded by grievance and we're surrounded by trouble. We're surrounded by anxiety and angst and we're just, just surrounded by all these things. Oftentimes that is the fruit. That is the crop of the seeds that have been sown before. Okay, over here. 
Our flesh is a field that we can be sowing in. And we're always sowing something, some, some kind of seed. And the crop that we get is already determined in advance. But we also can sow to the Spirit, he says. To sow to the Spirit is the same as to set your mind on the Spirit. Romans 8.6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's akin to walking in the Spirit. And again, the seeds that we sow are largely our thoughts and our deeds. How do we set our mind on the spiritual things? Well, We're to seek and to set our mind on things above, the Bible says. The things of God, not on things on the earth. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, you have absolute um, choice in this. We're not victims. We've got a choice of what we're going to set our mind on. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 3 because there's a contrast here in Philippians chapter 3. So Paul says to... If you're saved, if you're risen with Christ, to seek the things that are above, to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth, not temporal things. But when you contrast that with Philippians chapter 3, I want you to go back. Let's go back to verse 17. The main verse I want to get to is verse 19, but let's go back to verse 17. Brethren, be, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. He says, look at my life, my life in Christ. Let that be an example for you. And then he says, for many walk or live. That word walk, it's it's talking about your lifestyle. Many have this kind of a lifestyle, of whom I have told you often, and now, now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. When he says whose God is their belly, he's not talking about just appetites for food. It's talking about fleshly appetites. It's talking about serving the flesh. That's what drives them. He says whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. What a contrast between the spiritual mind and the carnal mind. And so here's the application. Paul distinguishes between the two harvests as well as between the two sowings, and the results of those are only logical. He says, you sow to your flesh, and you keep sowing those seeds in your flesh, you're going to receive of the flesh or reap of the flesh corruption. That word means the process of moral decay. In other words, moral decay is going to set in. And when you're always sowing to the flesh, it's just going to keep going from bad to worse until you finally perish. You ever seen people's lives like that? They were around truth. 
They had access to truth. Something happens in their life and they get upset. They get bitter. And if you watch their life, it just seems like it's going from bad to worse. It just seems like it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And they're not even around anymore. And their life just keeps going in the wrong direction. You ever seen that? The sowing to the flesh. And of the flesh, the crop is going to come in. And it's corruption, the process of moral decay. But if you sow to the Spirit, he says, from the Spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. Did you know moral and spiritual life can only come from God? Life can only come from God. You sow to the Spirit, and the crop that you're going to get is life, he says. That only comes from God. So communion with God is going to develop in your life more and more, and it's going to bring with it life for you. If you want to reap a harvest that is good, a harvest of holiness, our duty is twofold then. First of all, you've got to avoid sowing to the flesh. It's got to be crucified. It's got to be put to death. But then secondly, you've got to keep sowing good seeds to the Spirit. It's another way of saying we've got to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. You know how, listen, if you're always sowing good seeds, you're always going to be getting a good crop. You keep sowing to the Word of God and, in, and, and t- having your life uh, completely immersed in the things of God and in the Word of God and making your life align with the truth of God and you just keep sowing that into your life, guess what? You're always going to be receiving a good crop. Man, when things are going the other direction, it's a mark or it's, it's, it's an indicator that the wrong seeds have been being sown. Make sense? So Paul says, here, you sow to your flesh. It's going to be corruption, but you can sow to the Spirit. And it's going to be a good crop. And then we get to verses 9 and 10. And here's that third sphere of the Christian experience that is connected to this law of sowing and reaping. He says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Again, it's connected to the law of sowing and reaping. And Paul says, let us not be weary in well-doing. He reminds the believers that weariness can come. But don't quit. Don't give up. Because there's a reward at the end. And if we were using the analogy of a farmer and and sowing and reaping, you know what? The farmer can't stop with only sowing half of his field. Even if he's tired, even if he's weary, he's not going to receive a full harvest. You understand that? He's got to keep going. But the application could be this. You know what? We might not see or know the full effect of doing good in this life. Whether that's doing good in the community, whether that's doing good to an individual, we may not see the full effect of that in this life, but the Lord knows and the Lord is not mocked, amen, and the Lord is going to give 
the reward. And he says, do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. What is the household of faith? That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially right here in this body. Especially do good to them. Sow those good seeds as we have opportunity, he says. Guess what? We've got all kinds of opportunity right now to do good to all men, especially our brothers and sisters. You know what? Maybe that means, we're talking about sowing seeds here. What are our seeds? Well, maybe it's our time that we would give to another, that we would make that investment. Maybe it's money, that kind of a resource. You know what? Maybe it's like going and painting a brother's house that needs to be painted. Some people went over to help Brother Gerth paint some in his house. Praise the Lord for taking the time and helping a brother in the Lord. Those are seeds that are being planted. Maybe it means giving some money in a time of need to somebody else. God's blessed you with the resource. I have more than I need. There's somebody who has a need. I can willingly and gladly be a blessing and help out because God has blessed me. Guess what? I'm sowing some seeds. And maybe that person sowed some seeds before, and this is the crop and the harvest that's coming in for them. Do good to all men especially they of the household of faith, just taking of the resources that we've been blessed with and sowing them into the lives of other people. Don't be weary in that. Don't be weary in well-doing. Because there's a harvest that's coming in. And in none of these things will God be mocked. Each of these areas, the same principle invariably operates. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Therefore, if we want to reap a good harvest, we've got to sow and we've got to keep on sowing those good seeds. Amen? How are you investing your life is the question. Oh, we can be so stingy with the resources that we have. It's my time. I need some me time. Right? It's my time. I, I've, I've been working all day long. I'm so tired. I don't want to go help somebody else. You know what? We ought to be the kind of people that are like, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of you. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You call me up at 1 o'clock in the morning because you got a problem going on in your life. Guess what? I'm here for you. I'm not off duty. And neither should you be, right? And we take those resources that God has given to us and we sow them into the lives of other people and we're going to get a good crop that comes back. Maybe not in this life, we may not see it all, but God surely is keeping track and there will be a reward. You want that good harvest? Keep sowing the good seed. Amen. I think it's a great principle. Great principles for life. And let's take a minute to just think and chew on some of this. How am I really investing my life? Am I really about me and my time? Am I selfish with those things? Or am I sowing that into the good, the good field? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to just take the principles of God's Word before us tonight.
And I don't know what you might do in the heart and mind of each person. Why they're here tonight, why this passage, why these thoughts. Lord, you know. But I pray that you'd use it because it is the good Word of God. And I pray that the principles would be impactful. Maybe it's on the physical plane where we behave, how we live. Maybe some wallow in self-pity. Maybe some people harbor grudges. Help us to see it with clear eyes that we're sowing, sowing to our flesh and not to the Spirit. Maybe we're selfish with the things that we've been blessed with, as if we own them, when in reality they belong to the Lord. Lord, help us to see this principle of sowing and reaping in all areas of life that we live. And I pray that you'd, Lord, help us to always be sowing to the Spirit that good seed. Bless your people. Thank you for the time. In Jesus' name, amen.